0: Blessing to be back. Um, happy Fourth of July weekend. So I'm uh, retired military, so this is a very uh, this is a very special holiday for me. I always uh, try to celebrate and, and do something with my family. So we barbecue, go see a fireworks show, things like that. And so uh, I've been able to go to different parts of the country too during Fourth of July, and uh, it's in some places it's really celebrated. Like I was in Virginia, when my son was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, and every town in Virginia had a Fireworks show and they have parades and things like that. I don't know if we, in every part of California, uh, it's not the same as it is in a lot of other parts of the country, but uh, what a blessing uh, to to enjoy the freedom of this nation and we thank God for those who serve, uh, you know, to preserve this freedom. And so uh, anybody who served in the military, uh, thank you so much. I know there's a pilot, former Navy pilot, uh, my brother here, uh, thank you for your service and all those who served. Um, my son's currently on active duty Air Force, and so uh, he's stationed at Pearl Harbor. He's, he's, doing, he's doing wonderful in his career. He's studying to be a chaplain. So God willingly, he'll get his Master's of Divinity from Southern Seminary, and he'll be a chaplain in the next few years. That's his desire. And uh, he wants to do 30 years. So he's like, Dad, I want to spend my whole life in the Air Force. I was a dependent now, and now I'm on active duty, and then I want to retire. And, you know, I want to spend every moment I can connected to the Air Force, and I'm, I'm glad that he, he has that and one thing he told me, he's a big stats guy. He says, you know, uh, military service is very generational. A lot of people were in the military. that former family members that served in the military. Uh, some good news I just want to share. I've been here a couple of times, so maybe a couple of you or some of you remember. But I have a son who's an Oakland police officer. He just had his second child, a little boy, healthy, beautiful. His name is Garrett. And so we thank God that he's, uh, he's now with us. We have another masseuse. And then uh, also we thank God just uh, for his favor and grace. Uh, my daughter, Alyssa, she's 18. She's our baby. She just got accepted to UC Berkeley. And so she'll be studying at UC Berkeley this fall. And so um, all of this, is we, me and my wife tie all of this kind of blessing and grace that's come upon our children to this, this, uh, this prayer that we prayed since our children uh, were little. And then, of course, we, we weren't Christians when we had our first son, Johnny, who was in the Air Force. But we got, you know, the Lord saved us. When he, was four, when he was four is when the Lord saved me. But we had this prayer that we heard. We, so we heard a message. And, I, and I'm saying this so maybe you'll be encouraged to pray this for your children. So we, we heard a message. An evangelist came through and preached about the favor of God. And he just talked about how the favor of God will open doors for you and do things for you that only God can do. And so me and Cindy just kind of gravitated towards that message of God's favor. And so regularly, in fact daily, we pray for our children. Lord, we grant them favor in your sight and in the eyes of man. And we pray and we pray. And now we look at our, me and Cindy will look. When our daughter got accepted to UC Berkeley, which was her first choice, uh, she said, uh, was, she said uh, that was my first choice, Dad. Because it's supposed to be, uh, you know, a very elite public school. And so we said... We said, God, this is your favor once again upon our children. And so I encourage you to pray. And so and some people have said, I've heard people, because I posted a picture of my daughter. We went to Berkeley. Some people said, what? Well, you know, uh, that's a very liberal school. I said, well, my, my daughter's not. And so I, I actually asked my daughter. And I said, you know that's a very liberal school. They're going to challenge your faith there, right? Because I know young people, young adults who have gone there and had their faith challenge. And she looked at me, she's my princess, so she doesn't mind giving me a little attitude. She says, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt that you would even suggest that my faith could be affected by Berkeley. And I said, and then I thought, and I said, no, baby, I'm, that's not what I mean. I just wanna prepare you. And she says, no, Dad, my faith is intact. I'm not going there to learn about God. I'm going there to learn you know, my major so that I could be successful in life. And then I, and then I thought to myself, well, that's the way we tried to raise our children. Like, to, to if that's considered the best public school in, in the nation, then that's the school she wants to go to. My son is an Oakland police officer because he wanted to be in one of the best or most difficult cities to be a police officer in. So my son's on active duty Air Force ser- serving on a special assignment in Pearl Harbor as a cyber IT, non-commissioned officer in charge, because... We always try to encourage our children to, to go for the highest that possible. So my daughter's there. I'm going to go there, and she stand. And I know in high school she stands her ground. In community college, she'll stand her ground. And so we, my daughter's going there to be a light and to get and get prepared, you know, in her career that she wants to go in. So she wants to be a uh, ultimately wants to be a librarian. And so uh, we just pray that God will continue to grant her favor uh, in His sight and in the eyes of man. But anyway, we trace all those beautiful little stories. Uh, about our children and, and what God is doing in their lives all back to that little it's like it's our it's our version of the prayer of Jabez you could say God grant our children favor in your sight and the eyes of man so anyway it's a ble- it's always a blessing to be here I really enjoy the worship whenever I whenever I'm here as well I let's, can we give God thanks for the worship team you know what a blessing And so I, I want to speak to you this morning uh, from the book of Romans. Book of Romans, a very, very, uh, very powerful book. Many renewals and revivals have actually come from the preaching, the exposition of this text. And so just some background on, on the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, the the book of Romans, is, is you'll, you may have even heard it said if you've been in church long enough, it's considered what is called in theological circles, scholars will call it the magnum opus of the Apostle Paul, which is to say his greatest work. So of his 13 epistles, he almost wrote half the New Testament, right? 27 books in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 uh, of the New Testament books. Of those 13 books, this is considered his magnum opus. Opus, his greatest work. And, uh, and I'll give you a little bit of background on that, but I really want to get into the text this morning. And so I want to read the text and then we'll pray and ask God to, to speak to us through his word. Father, uh, let's, read it, let's read it first and then I'll pray. Um, this is the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And this is a pivotal text, and I'll explain that to you in just a minute. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then we'll pray. I'm trying to be conscious of our time. I really appreciate you being here on a uh, a holiday weekend on Sunday morning. Praise God uh, that you're here. And I pray that God will bless uh, you coming here and being here on this day. So the Apostle Paul writes, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, somebody say mercies of God, To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be in your house today. Lord, we, uh, we're looking forward, Lord, to, to gleaning from your word, receiving from your word. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you would want us to see in the text. Most of all, we pray that Christ be glorified through the preaching of the word. We love you thank you for what you'll say, what you'll do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray and together we say Amen. So the book of Romans, I just want to give just a little bit of background. So the Apostle Paul at this point, when he writes the book of Romans, has been preaching for 20 years. But he had not yet been to Rome. Paul, through his many travels, knew many people who lived in Rome and went to church in Rome. He knew many of the believers there, but he had not yet been there himself. So when when Paul writes to the Roman church, he's writing as somebody who's never actually been there yet, but he's writing in advance of an anticipated visit to try to gain the friendship of the believers there in that church, people that he did not personally know yet. And so he sets forth in the book of Romans a full and orderly statement of the great principles of the gospel that he preached, that he had been preaching already around the, the nation's. Paul begins the, the, this is just a quick summary of Romans, Paul begins the letter to the Romans by looking at the spiritual condition of mankind. And so you'll read chapter 1 of Romans and you'll see that. He's, He's writing and he starts off with the spiritual condition of mankind. And he says, Jews and Gentiles alike are sinners and in need of salvation. I said, Jews and Gentiles alike are sinners and in need of salvation. Salvation has been provided by God through Jesus Christ. It must be received by faith, though, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4. Paul moves on to show how the believer is freed from sin, the law, and death. And then in chapter 8, he lets us know that this happens through the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is a wonderful, wonderful chapter on the Holy Spirit, uh, apart from John, the Gospel of John, chapter fourteen and sixteen, I would say uh, Romans eight is such a great chapter if you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit and even go through that chapter slowly. And then he spends time in chapter nine through eleven of the book of Romans, and he talks about the Jews of the where they fit into the plan of redemption. And so he talks about the Jews for a few chapters, and then he goes into chapter 12 through 16. So we're reading that pivotal verse when the first 11 chapters he talks, he gives basically a doctrine and he gives theology in there and explains salvation and, and where the Jews fall in. And he, he talks about how we've been freed from sin. And then, he, and then, he, then he, he, he pivots and turns the corner in chapter 12, and then he shares, he shares how to live this faith out practically. Right, so, and Paul, Paul would do that. He would write a letter and he'd give doctrine. He'd, he'd explain some theological things, but then he'd always take time in a, le- in a letter, an epistle to a church and say, now this is how you practically live it out. And I think that's important, right? We, we can get a lot of doctrine, but how do I apply that to my life? How does this pertain to me and what does this look like uh, daily in my life? And so the letter concludes with an urgent appeal to the readers to work out their Christian faith in practical ways in light of God's mercy, both in the church and in the world. So th- these two verses, we see from Paul that to him, worship must be sacrificial and uncompromising. Worship must, must be sacrificial and Uncompromising, he knew that where there, when there is true worship, that the believer is transformed. Right? He said, "Don't be conformed, but be transformed." He, he knew that the believer is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, and better equipped to discern the will of God. Now, Paul is telling us, he's saying, if if we worship with an uncompromising, sacrificial worship, what do a lot of believers uh, desire? And I've heard many Christians over the years, many believers say, I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. And Paul is telling us, it's, it's there if we read it, that if we worship God and we're, we're living a life that's holy and acceptable to him, we'll be able to discern the will of God. We'll be able to know the will of God. And not only that, God doesn't just reveal his will, or allow us to discern it, but he gives us the power to walk it out. And so Paul starts off these two verses, this this, uh, this transition, this pivot from the doctrinal or theological uh, treatise now to the praxis, which is how to put this into action. So he's, and how we know he's pivoting is that he uses this word therefore. Therefore connects the previous with what's to come. So therefore is the transitional word. So therefore connects what was said in the first eleven chapters and what he, with what he's about to say. So Paul gives this deep presentation of salvation, and then he gives the practical explanation as well, and he focuses on on applying. The, uh, these principles and his teachings to the Christian's behavior and relationships. Behavior and relationships. So he says, in light of all this that I've said, this is how you walk it out in your behavior and your relationships. And when Paul writes this, he, our re, our, he's, what he's expecting when he says, he says reasonable, our reasonable response to God's mercy is worship. A reasonable response to God's mercy is worship. God has been merciful to us. Has God been merciful to anybody here today? We just heard from Pastor Darren how merciful God has been, right? What, 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 what was a tragedy, God used it still for his glory. Now, I've got to say, I'm so blessed that you shared that because so much of life now is we share our best moments, right? It, it, social media is all about showing your best moments. It's like you never had a bad day on social media, but man, we, but of course, I don't expect put, everybody to put their tragedy, you know, all the time on, on, on social media, but we, we kind of almost are exposed to only the best snapshots of people's life. But uh, it's good to hear from a brother, a pastor, an elder, man, I've been through some really dark days and my response wasn't the best, but somehow God brought us out of that with each, with with fellow believers, and now with that same comfort which we were comforted, we now want, now want to comfort others, which is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do need each other. By this, uh, they, they will know that you, uh, that you are my disciples, that you love one another, Jesus taught, right, in the Gospel of John. So it's so important. We do need each other. We're meant for community, we're created for community and it, it, it is a blessing. And I know there's sometimes hesitation because we've been hurt before. Maybe there's past hurt in family or past hurt in church even. Uh, but we still have to keep trying and, and be prayerful and, and try again because it's worth it. There's, there's nothing like being in a community of believers where we're loving each other, encouraging each other, praying for one another. Uh, it, it's, it's essential to this, to, this, uh, to this walk with God. Amen. So Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I urge you. I urge you. This means that what he's saying is this is a very strong suggestion. He doesn't know them personally, so he doesn't want to come on too strong because the Apostle Paul can come on too strong. We see that throughout the New Testament. But he urges them because it's urgent that we worship God. I said it's urgent that we worship God. Now, when we talk about worship, we're not talking about just the, the first 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. When the Apostle Paul's uh, writing to the Romans, he's, he's, what he's speaking of is a life of worship, a lifestyle of worship, something that we do every day, whether we're in church or not. Worship isn't restricted to, from 10 to 10.30 on Sunday morning. He's speaking to a people who he knows, understand, he's talking about our lives as a worship are you here? You here? All right. So he he urges them because it's urgent that we worship God. But ultimately Paul knows that it's still up to us. It's still our, we wake up every day and we decide, am I going to read my Bible today? Am I going to pray today? Am I going to worship God today? What am I going to do? It's still a choice. It's called free will right? We still wake up every day with our free will, our choice. He knows that it's up to them and it's up to us. It's still up to us today, whether we're going to do what what we're supposed to do, living a life that's holy and acceptable to God. God tells us in his word. He leads us by his spirit, but in the end, it's still up to us. He says, I urge you by the mercies of God. Now, many times, we may tend to think that mercy is more of an old, an old Testament concept. Paul here is still in the New Testament appealing to God's mercy. What we do, we do because God has been merciful to us. Has God, I ask the question again, has God been merciful to anybody here? Has he been merciful in the past? Is he being merciful now? And he will be merciful in the future. It's, it's, a, it's an attribute of God. It's a characteristic of God. He, he's merciful. God's mercy is this, a father's love for his child. The compassion a father feels when he sees his children. Have you ever looked at your children in a difficult circumstance and just felt compassion and mercy towards them? Have you ever looked at your child and thought, if I could do anything to alleviate or remove completely, I would do it? That's God's mercy for us. That's what compelled him to send his son to die for us. Listen, the Old Testament and the New Testament are filled with references of God's mercy. It's a New Testament concept as well. And listen, here's some things about God's mercy that the scriptures tell us God's mercy never fails. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. There's not a limit on his mercy. It never runs out. God doesn't look at me and go, man, John, I've given you just about as much mercy as I'm gonna give you. You ran out, sorry. His mercy never fails, never, it never ends. Listen, and in fact, I believe that in every situation we we find ourselves in that's challenging or difficult or even a dark moment, a dark night of the soul, I believe that there's always a mercy window available to us. And God has a purpose in those dark nights of the soul and in those darkest moments. And somehow, if if we will turn to him, he'll get the glory. And his mercy is there. You might not see it in the moment, but you'll look back and go, oh, I see it. I see where his mercy is now. Pastor Darren, I'm sure you look back now and go, oh, I, I see your mercy now. That was hard, but I, I, I do see your mercy, God. Thank you. That's why you're testifying about it because you see his mercy. God's mercy extends to us through the New Testament. The church lives by God's mercy. We still today live by God's mercy. It's the, it's the foundation of our salvation. God's mercy. We're told in Titus 3.5, he saved us not by deeds done by us in righteousness, but by virtue of his own mercy. Our salvation comes by virtue of his own mercy. So in light of God's mercy, Paul encourages us to worship the Lord, and in fact, to make it a regular routine part of our life. He says, says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our worship is sacrificial. Paul is saying in response to God's mercy, we should offer our bodies. So what does that mean, uh, our bodies? That means all of us. He's saying we don't, we don't hold back. We don't, we don't compartmentalize and say, God, well, you can have this part of me, but not that part of me. You can, Lord, you can, you can, uh, I'll, I submit my family to you, but, but not my finances. Right? I submit this, but not this relationship, but not that relationship. God, I don't, I don't want you to touch this part of my life. No, he says, present your bodies, meaning all of you. To him Sounds like Old Testament priestly language, but he's saying, no, present all of yourself to God. There's not some areas that we want to uh, surrender to him and others that we won't. God wants us to present all of us, and that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging. The sacrifice God looks for is no longer an animal, as we read in the Old Testament. No longer do we bring animals into the temple, but what he's looking for, is what Paul's talking about, is a daily commitment of a surrendered life to God. Uh, A.W. Tozer would call it the crucified life, a crucified life that every day, I live my life crucified to Christ and for Christ. And then when Paul says living sacrifice, when he uses the word living, he means living in this newness of life that we find in Christ, made possible by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit when we're saved and that instant. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us and he presents now this newness of life. He gives us this newness of life. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Jesus said, I must go so that he can come. And he's come and he lives inside of us and he gives us the power to go on and he gives us the power to worship. And this is all in light of God's mercy. Paul is compelling us, look back at God's mercy and in light of that mercy, please offer yourselves completely in this newness of life provided through Jesus and, and by the power of the Spirit that now dwells within us. You're not the same person anymore. Listen, if you're here and you, if you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you look, looked upon his sacrifice and said, I surrender my sin and I accept the sacrifice that Christ did for me on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, you're not the same person anymore. You're a new creation. You're not the same. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be living our lives The way we used to before Christ came, there's a newness of life. It's inside of us and it's available for us. And so, but we need to present ourselves to God daily. And so, in light of that mercy, and so Paul's saying, in this newness of life made possible by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you're not the same person anymore. You have a new mind, you have a new heart. Right? A new spirit. Ezekiel 36 talks about a new spirit. I'll put a new spirit within you so that you can obey my law, my word. Right? The Spirit of God gives us the, the grace and the power to, to obey the word of God. He's saying this new life should be devoted to God. Now, the, the, somebody once said that the only problem with the living sacrifice is that it, wants to, it, it continuously wants to crawl off of the altar. Right, that's the problem with the living sacrifice. It continuously wants to get off that altar. Right. And how many of us try to get off that altar sometimes? But we have to stay there and present ourselves. Now I want to just make quick reference of this sacrificial language. Old Testament sacrifices versus new New Testament sacrifices. Now in the Old Testament, God instituted a sacrificial system for the children of Israel after he delivered them from Egypt. And he told them where they were to worship at the tabernacle how to worship with offerings that he prescribed in Leviticus chapter one through seven. He told, he told them how he's to be approached. God must be approached reverently and obediently in the manner he prescribes without deviation. So, you know, uh, I've, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say this, but I've heard some, in, in this context, in modern context, I've heard many people say, you know, me and God, God knows me, right? God knows me, and, you know, I, me and God got our own relationship and I worship him how I want, right? Me, you know, I get high and worship God, right? I've heard people say something like that. Yeah, this is how I connect with God. I smoke weed and I connect with God. I don't know, that, that, that's, that's to me, it seems like a slight deviation of the scriptures, right? No, no, no. You don't decide how you're gonna worship God because then you're leading that, you're leading that relationship, right? God tells <laughs> us how we approach him. And the Old Testament is just a, a tutor, Paul would say, in the book of Galatians. It's just a tutor and instruction, and really to let us know, you can't do it in your own strength. Okay, so now that you know that you can't do it in your own strength, now my son will come, and he'll, he'll, he'll die for your sins. I'll send my spirit. He'll live inside of you, and you can live as I prescribe, still according to my word. And so, God must be approached reverently and obediently in the manner he pres- prescribes without deviation. We no longer offer little sacri- literal sacrifices of animals. Now Christ has fulfilled and brought to an end the Old Testament sacrificial system of offering animals. Right? But now the Christian brings gifts, but they're spiritual gifts, such as sacrifices of praise to God which is the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13:5. Right, so our praise is an act of worship. <clears throat> Excuse me. Literally, we bring, that's our gift. When, when we come to church, we should come with a praise. What well, we've been offering God our spiritual sacrifices through the week. Now, it's so beautiful when we bring them together. We, we offer sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. We want to praise God. We want to vocalize. We want to say how good God is. Jesus told us to worship God in spirit and in truth. So we don't, we don't have to wait till Sunday or once a year to offer a sacrifice or, or a praise to God. You can, you can offer him a spiritual sacrifice on the way to work. You can offer him a spiritual sacrifice while you're gardening in your backyard. You can be walking through the, uh, through the mall and you can be offering spiritual sacrifices along the way. When you acknowledge God in things, you're, you're offering him praise. Right, so we can, now, we, we don't worship on this mountain or that mountain. No, those who worship God will worship him in spirit and truth anywhere, as long as it's true to his word. It's the truth, spirit and truth. And we can present our bodies continuously, all of us, as a li- living sacrifice to God. So then Paul says it should be holy and acceptable. So as we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You, did you know our holy living is a, is a worship to God? Holiness, does, holiness doesn't fade in the New Testament. Peter repeats the Old Testament and says, we sh- be holy as God is holy. God still wants his people to be holy, separate. It means separate, set apart. We st- he still wants us to shine, right? Jesus said we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world, we're meant to shine. Listen, and did you know that the, the, the hotter we are on the inside, the more the light will shine? Right, did you know light comes from internal temperature? Law of thermodynamics. The hotter something is, as something is on the inside, the brighter it will shine. If it gets hot enough to a certain degree, then, the light, then you'll see, finally see light come from it. Everything has heat in it to some degree, and if it doesn't, it, it gives no heat. But if we get hot enough, so what's the practical application? Let me do what the Apostle Paul did in, in, in Romans 12 through 16. If we can get the fire of the Holy Spirit burning enough inside of us, we'll shine the light of Christ, and it will be evident for everybody to see. We just, and how do we get, how do we get, how do we get that, that heat burning inside of us? Praying, reading our Bibles, obeying the word of God, walking in holiness. And, and we might say it's hard, but Paul's saying you could do this by the spirit of holiness, right? Romans chapter 1 verse 4, he talks about the spirit of holiness. It's the spirit of God that's going to cause us to walk in holiness as, we're, as, we, as we spend time with God and we live our lives as living sacrifices. The, the fire of God is burning within us. And we can shine the light of Christ wherever we go. John Wesley said, he said, get on on fire for God and the world will come watch you burn. Get on fire for God and the world will will come watch you burn. People will be drawn to you because they can sense that heat and they can see that light. Uh, Next thing, I'm going to try to get through this last little bit quickly. Paul says it has to be uncompromised worship. It has to be holy and acceptable. Paul uses acceptable twice, right? There's an acceptable way and an unacceptable way to worship God. He's saying if it's gonna be acceptable, it has to be holy. He says uncompromising worship. We can present our bodies as as a living sacrifice if we don't conform to the world but are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Christ, see Christ, gave himself for us to deliver us from the present evil age, we're told in Galatians 1.4. Those who belong to Christ have been transferred from the old realm of sin and death to the new realm of righteousness and life. Jesus said in John 17, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. When 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 Paul talks about world, he's talking about this godless age. This godless age that even we live in today that is contrary to the things of God. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're pilgrims passing through, right? We don't belong to this world, nor nor should we want to belong to this world or be like this world. We're supposed to be different. So Paul tells us we're to resist the pressures of being fashioned into the image of this world and the behavior that typifies it. Our worship should be uncompromising. Then he says, but be transformed, transforming worship. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this could actually be a whole sermon by itself, but the word transformed is the same word used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus. When he was transfigured in Matthew 17, where, where uh, Moses and Elijah came to him, and he was shining, uh, the, he was glowing, and uh, I believe it was Mark who describes it as his, his clothes were wider than any any launderer or dry cleaner could, could make it shine. He was just so bright. He was transfigured right before them. It's the same word used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus. It's also where we get the word metamorphosis. The Greek word for transformed is also the same word where we get metamorphosis. It's in the Greek, it's metamorpho. It describes a transformation from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. So right, a caterpillar- has a metamorphosis, and it becomes a butterfly. There's this transition. So for us, when he says be transformed, he's talking about the invisible process that's taking place inside of us as followers of Christ. There's a a process taking place. If you'd permit me, we don't always know what God is doing in our hearts. No, we don't always perceive it, but God is doing something. God is always doing something. God is always working in us. We don't always perceive it. This is this is how I would describe it. It's vitamins, not Red Bull. It's vitamins, not Red Bull. Right? There's some Red Bull drinkers in here. I could tell. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> <to> no sugar. <laughs> right? Because then you crash. I guess. Um, when you drink Red Bull. You get an instant shot and you feel strong or quickened, right? That you instantly feel the effects of the Red Bull. But when you take vitamins, you take them but you don't perceive anything that's going on, right? But you know it's doing something good because it's, it, whatever you're taking it for, whatever vitamins you're taking it for, ultimately this process, if you continue with it, will give you the desired results, right? The doctors will recommend certain, if this, if this oh my wife's iron was low, my wife has low iron, so the doctor recommended a certain milligrams of iron pills. And as she began to take them, when she went back after three months, her iron to begin to raise, right? But she couldn't perceive it other than her energy wasn't as low, but she couldn't really tell as it was happening. So this process, this invisible process of sanctification and holiness and what, what God is doing in our lives, we don't always perceive it right away, but if we are just consistent and persistent, we'll notice over time the change right it's vitamins not red bull right none of us took like i you know i take certain vitamins in the morning I don't take the vitamins and go, oh, my goodness, that magnesium is just hitting. Wow, man, it's right here. I know it's doing what it's supposed to. Oh, man, oh, that vitamin C, I know I'm not going to get sick, you know, because I can just feel it. You know, no, sickness is coming my way because, you know, I could just, oh, the vitamin C is just making its way everywhere it's supposed to. No, nobody, None of us take our vitamins and, and, and react like that. But Paul says, and I'm close to to. I'm concluding. Paul says that this transformation takes place by the renewing of the mind. See, for Paul, the, the spiritual renewal takes place in the interior of a person. So really, it's, it's our heart. We have to, it's our heart. We, everything really, when it comes to our lives, we always, it always comes back to our heart. Guard your heart for out of it springs the wellness of life, right? It's the wellspring of life, Everything ultimately comes back to the heart. It's taking place. Paul, when he talks about spiritual renewal, he's talking about the interior of a person. This is the place where where constant renewal is needed. And it's the Holy Spirit. Again, back to the Holy Spirit is the one who renews us. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we're being transformed from those caterpillar Christians to those butterfly Christians. That's really what's taking place. If you look back, They'll say, oh, I remember how raw and rough I was when I first got saved. And you notice over time, you look back and you can see the transformation that's taken place. And we're transformed step by step, day by day. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3, from glory to glory, from glory to glory into the image of Christ, Romans 8.29. A lot of this is found all throughout Romans, into the image of Christ. This is God's goal for our life, that we'd be conformed or transformed into the image of his son, Christ. When we worship with our lives as a living sacrifice, we're constantly being transformed by the power of God. Finally, the result of worship. The second exhortation is knowledge of the will of God. And I said at the beginning, many Christians want to perceive God's will. But Paul would say, if you worship God, if you present yourself a living sacrifice with an urgency, with With the sacrifice, sometimes sometimes it is a sacrifice to worship and praise God. It can be holy. Holiness is not out of fashion. It's not an old fashioned term. If it's holy, it's acceptable. If your life is holy, it's acceptable to God. Uncompromising and transforming. It's that we would know that we would know God's will. That we literally that we would live in tune with God, having knowledge of what God desires for our life now becomes the norm our normal conduct. The key, however, still goes back to a willing and eager submission to live our lives out on dependence on God. To seek to know God's will as the first goal and then continuing on with it, seeking for the power of the even harder task of actually doing it. The renewal of the mind enables the believer to discern God's will and having discerned it, that same renewal will set us to complete it and do it what we perceive to be that will of God and what we do should be pleasing and acceptable to God. Again, acceptable. We want to do what's acceptable, not what I think is acceptable or what you think is acceptable, but what God's word says is acceptable. So our worship should be urgent. It's important that we worship. You'll notice a difference when you don't should be sacrificial Laying our whole lives down, all of us. Don't say that. I don't just say that as if that's something very easy. Holy, set apart, acceptable to God according to His word. Uncompromising. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We we are different, set apart, and transforming by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are washed by the water of the Word. Paul says in Ephesians. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. I just want to say a prayer before we conclude with the benediction. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to speak first to anybody who's here today who's far from God. I don't know where you are with God today. But I want to tell you God's mercy is for you. God loves you. If if you haven't surrendered your life to, to God, you know, have a walk with God, I want to tell you his mercy is for you too. His mercy was for us before we knew Christ, before we accepted Christ. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. There's, there's the proof. And so I want to encourage you today. If you're far from God, maybe, you, maybe you're in church. Some people are sitting in the pew and they're still far from God. I ask you to reconcile your heart to God today and just you would start off by saying, God, please forgive me of my sins. Wash them away in that blood that Jesus shed on the cross when he died for us 2,000 years ago. And Lord, I surrender my life, a living sacrifice. Walk with me, God. I encourage you in your own words, ask God for forgiveness of your sins and invite him into your life and ask him to help you to live your life in a holy, acceptable way before him, according to his word. And you need God's people. You need a church to help you do that. I want to pray for you as we conclude. If you just continue listening and agreeing with me. Lord, we come before you today. We realize that the text has told us that our worship is urgent. Lord, and and we do this in light of your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your mercy more clearly each and every day in our lives. By your spirit, who you've sent to dwell inside of us, Lord, help us to present all of us, all of our life to you as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to you. Lord, may our our spiritual service of worship and serving humanity, those you put around us, Lord, may be be a, a sweet fragrance in your nostrils. Lord, help us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind through your word, that we may know what is your will, Lord, and that we'd receive the grace and the power to uh, live it out, Lord, which is a life acceptable and pleasing to you. We love you and thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Together we say amen. You receive the pastoral benediction today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he bless you indeed enlarge in your territory that his hand be with you, that he'd keep you from evil and allow you to cause no harm for his name's sake and for his glory. May he bless the rest of this day and throughout the rest of this holiday weekend. In Jesus' name we pray and agree. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a blessed, blessed Fourth of July weekend.